Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. <laughs> Emergency podcast. <laughs> we have a... Oh, oh, wow. That's my tornado siren for everybody. Emergency pod, here we are. It's great to see you, man. How you doing? I thought we were back at Haifa doing bomb drills, man. That's crazy. <laughs> he gave me some flashbacks there. Oh, boy, I wasn't prepared for that. I'll, I'll tell you that story some other time, hiding below the uh, elementary school Can't in fourth wait. grade. Oof, oof, that was a tough one. But, uh, look, we got a big trade to talk about here. The Portland Trailblazers finally dealt Damian Lillard, and they did not send him to the Miami Heat. They did not send him to the Toronto Raptors or any of the other places that have been rumored recently. They sent him... To the Milwaukee Bucks, the first major, major acquisition of uh, the Giannis Inc. era. I mean, topping the Drew Holiday trade in 2020 for sure. Just for a little extra spice here on the GOAT, the Phoenix Suns wedged their way in and dumped DeAndre Ayton to the Portland Trailblazers (laughs) where maybe he'll never be heard from again. So a really spicy three-team trade for us. But I want to go back to one thing I said. I think it was last week or, or maybe the week before. Mm. Do you remember when I was doing like the meathead logic for Giannis where it was like, well, LeBron got this completely overhauled uh, supporting cast. And yeah. Steph Curry, he got Chris Paul, right? And Jason Tatum, he got Chris Depps Porzingis. Like, who am I getting? What are some players I've heard of uh, that uh, are going to be coming to Milwaukee to help me out on the title chase this year? Right on schedule. And frankly, to my surprise, because I didn't think they had enough to get this type of deal done, they bring in someone that Giannis has definitely heard of before. Mm. Damian Lillard, two top five scorers from last season. On the same team, a guy who's made his name in the NBA with late game scoring and clutch shot making, going to a team that arguably needs those skills more than almost anybody this side of the Boston Celtics who fall to pieces in the fourth quarter of big moments, a lot of the times in the playoffs. What an interesting gamble by Milwaukee. Is Giannis validated for doing that podcast that guys like you were starting to get sick of his voice? Did he flex on you? Did he flex on the world? Was he right all along to say, get me some help, championship mentality? I want somebody I've heard of. Does he come out looking like a winner here? What do you think? Look, it's the right place to start. I will add a couple programming notes. Uh, On this show, we're going to be tight here because we're scheduling around physical therapy for me and parenting obligations and doctor's appointments. And so I'm just really glad that we could squeeze this in. And we will be back with another full episode later in the week. Wait, so you're telling me there's a doctor in D.C. who's got like a foam roller and he's waiting for you to show up and you just left him on the bed so you could come and have this conversation, this emergency (laughs) conversation with the goats? Is that what happened? Honestly, part of the fun here, I found out about the trade as I was walking into a physical therapy appointment, which I need because my back has been an absolute disaster over the last couple of weeks. And then I haven't really been able to process a lot of the takes out here. So I'm coming in fresh i'm experiencing the trade with you and my first thought so we did our fraud watch podcast the other week we had a great time with that podcast i thought it was one of the better pods we'd done in a while and my first thought as i put together winners and losers that's the format for this emergency pod is we can't even get to winners and losers yet because i am on 
fraud watch for doubting Giannis, getting annoyed at all his public comments, saying he was hitting a point of diminishing returns with all this stuff, comping him to LeBron. And, you know, I am very curious as to whether Giannis knew that the Bucks were in on this deal and and had the chance and just needed to put the picks on the table. And that was what was driving all the public comments. If so, great work by Giannis. If not, uh, what a stroke of fate here that the Bucks turned out to, to be the last one sort of standing uh, in this Dame sweepstakes. And either way, he's the biggest winner of this deal. I, I think this gives the Bucks a better chance at winning a title next year, raises their ceiling. They are going to have to figure some things out as far as perimeter defense is concerned. They might need my guy Marjan Bochamp to come through, give them some playoff <laughs> minutes. Right uh, on schedule. But, I mean, look, I think he played this perfectly and applied the pressure appropriately to the Bucks, and I would not have been nearly as skeptical of Giannis's approach had I considered this like a real possibility for Milwaukee. And so the Bucks are huge winners as well. Yeah, no, that's why it feels a little bit surprising. They did a nice job of keeping their, themselves out of the conversation, you know, and, and probably maybe that helped with the price. You know, they didn't give up all that much. Obviously, Drew Holiday, they have to send Grayson Allen to Phoenix. Um, they've got to send a first-round pick and some pick swaps down the road, and those could be really good assets, you know, depending on how things go with Giannis. But if you're talking about, hey, this is a franchise that kind of feels like its current group is most likely going to hit a wall again in the postseason. And, and you had rightly pointed out when we were talking Bucks a week or two ago, Drew Holiday and his shortcomings as a player were a big reason why it was hard to talk yourself into the Milwaukee Bucks winning the title this season. If you need to make an upgrade in that spot, um, it's a very bold, well-timed, calculated, and I think pretty savvy move by the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the reason why I was defending Giannis this summer was because he really hasn't raised his voice publicly all that often, and I think he kind of deserved a chance to do that after all of these years. And I like the uh, response from the Bucks front office. It feels respectful, right? They're saying, look, we know this isn't going to guarantee that you're going to sign a contract extension and stay uh, with Milwaukee forever, but this is a good faith effort to give you a big swing on a player with real talent who will likely be the best point guard in the Eastern Conference this season, who's going to give you a shot to get back to the finals and to really do it. That's all anybody can ask for an organization, especially a small market organization. So absolutely, Giannis wins not only because of the flex and like having it come through, but he also wins because he's got an organization on the other side of it that's amenable to that idea, that's willing to stick its neck out on his behalf and make the most of his prime as opposed to twiddling their thumbs. Um, it was a source of frustration for me. I, I said it multiple times on this podcast. They didn't get anybody at all who's going to be a positive difference maker this summer for Giannis, and now they have. They just waited until less than a week before media day. I think it's going to be a really clean fit. That's the other reason why I'm excited about this um, yep. this pairing for Giannis. Let's start with personalities, not game, right? Damian Lillard gets talked about a heck of a lot more about rapping and annoying trade rumors and non-basketball stuff. But for the vast majority of his career, he's kind of been one of these pure hooper types. He's lived in the gym. He's honed his three-point shot. Uh, he's been, uh, to me, he's a less annoying person than I think a lot of people view him. You know, the conversation that kind of uh, emanates from him. 
I think he and Giannis share a lot of like nose to the grindstone. Let's try to improve. Let's try to, you know, go all in and make the most of this season and next season. I think they have a lot of philosophical similarities. I think it's going to it's going to be water and water, mm-hmm. not oil and water. I think they're going <laughs> to kind of hit it off uh, pretty quickly. Right. And then. Uh, from a basketball standpoint, on the court, you know, Dame's weakness obviously is defense. You're 100% right. They have addressed their backcourt offensive problems at the expense of their backcourt defense with this move. I mean, it's a pretty clean swap out when you're when you're trading Holiday for Dame. But, you know, Milwaukee has a lot of defensive pieces behind them. They have a lot better defensive pieces in the front court than Damian Lillard's ever played with in Portland. And it feels like, uh, you know, if you were trying to find somebody who was going to you know, get the best out of Lillard as a companion player, it's probably going to be someone like a Giannis or like an Anthony Davis or yep. even a Bam Adebayo who Lillard wanted to play with, right? This is the match that he's been looking for and ditto for Giannis. I mean, we were we were talking ourselves into the idea of like Chris Middleton as the de facto closer for, for Milwaukee because he stepped up in that role in the 2021 title run and he is just sort of like the best guy they had, uh, you know, on the roster this season, Lillard's going to assume a lot of those responsibilities. I think you can run two-man game stuff with Lillard and Giannis. If you want to go to smaller lineups and take Brooke off the court late in games with Giannis at the five, um, Lillard's going to put a lot of pressure on the defense in those situations. And so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you know, you look back at Milwaukee's offense last year, average. They had Giannis a top five score. They had an average offense. There's no chance that happens again, uh, you know, this year. Their new coach, Adrian Griffin, man, this is like gold falling oh, in man. his lap. The, the offense is going to look better. I think it's going to be a jolt to Milwaukee. I feel like they maybe needed a little bit of a jolt. And I think Lillard's primed to have an amazing season. One of my crazier, zanier takes this summer was that if he got traded to the East, he was going to be the MVP this season because <laughs> I thought he was just going to roast all the Eastern Conference competition if he went to Miami yeah. or one of those other very, type of teams. Very, very on brand for you, yes. Um. I, I rescind that because he's going to Giannis's team. And that's the biggest adjustment for Dame is you're the number two guy now. You've not really been in that spot since you were very young and it was LaMarcus Aldridge's team in Portland. Um, that's going to be an adjustment for him, but I don't think he's going to get too hung up on that. I, I think it's going to be more about let's finally try to crack through and win and and you know check that off of uh, the, the checklist for his career. So uh, you know, to me... Lillard won't be the MVP. I think his arrival actually probably helps Giannis's MVP case, and I think they're going to be, uh, you know, entering the season most likely. I would I would suspect as the favorites in the Eastern Conference, right? Yeah, I think definitely the Bucks are the favorites right now, and we'll see whether the Celtics or Heat can make a deal to counter this. Um, I'm not even going to include the Sixers in the conversation at this point. Oh, please don't, please don't. Uh, I echo your sentiments on Dame and the revised MVP take. He is now. Willis McGahee playing alongside Ken Dorsey for the 2001 Miami Hurricane, splitting the Heisman vote, unfortunately. But he has a real title shot. And the reason you can hear the excitement in my voice is this is so much more interesting to me than him ending up in Miami, where I said three or four months ago, I think Zach Lowe said it's a hand-in-glove fit in Miami. I actually think the fit between Dame and Jimmy would have been a little bulkier than people were expecting it to be. Both of those guys need Wait. the ball a lot. 
Like mittens? Or what, what do you mean, bulky? <laughs> no, no, bulky, like awkward, you know? It would have oh, been clunky, clunky, okay. <laughs> clunky, bulky, not bulking. That's uh, Jokic out there in Denver. But um, I just like this fit better. I, I love it for Giannis and I love it for Dame uh, because all the skills that Dame has are what Giannis lacks at the end of games. And when you look at the Bucks, I mean, look, it's clear they're not going to have a player as good as Giannis, probably. Not, it's not clear, uh, but it's unlikely they'll have a player as good as Giannis for the next 50 years. And so you mortgage the future when you have a player like that in your organization. And the question this offseason was, do you trade those assets for like Zach Levine type talent or, you know, even lower, like Colin Sexton was a rumored Bucks target at some point. It's like, how do you manage the assets that you have when you've got a limited pool of tools at your disposal? Um, Lillard is exactly the, the type of player that you're saving all the assets for if, if you are waiting. Can I give you a bizarro world comparison? Do you remember when it kind of became clear Houston had hit the wall with Harden and Chris Paul, right? And so they have to kind of like find a way to upgrade that position. And they make just the unconscionable decision to trade Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook because Harden's, you know, jockeying. Get me, I I can't play with Chris anymore. I want to play with one of my buddies. And they bring in this guy Westbrook who doesn't fit with him at all. But it's the same kind of idea of like, I need to get over the hump and try to get into the postseason. This is like the exact opposite of that, right? Like ultimately that trade for Westbrook brought the entire house down. Maury leaves, Harden leaves, Westbrook eventually has to leave as well. And the whole thing blows up, right? But I think for Milwaukee, it's like you're in a very similar spot. You're trying to get back over the hump. You bring in Lillard. And, you know, the question I think a lot of people are going to ask is, does this secure Giannis in terms of trying to get him to sign an extension next summer? Or does it at least push off some of the questions about his future, I don't know necessarily if that's a guarantee, but I do know that this year with Giannis and Lillard will go much, much, much better on the court than that first year with Harden and Westbrook did, yeah. right? And I think that, um, that that goes back to the idea of hand and glove. I do just think it's going to be really smooth. And I think it, I think part of why you're excited here, frankly, too, one, it's not just every star goes to South Beach, right? There's going to be a big difference between that Lake Michigan uh, waterfront in January compared to South Beach in January, right? It's going to mm. be a little bit different. Dave's <laughs> going to have to sacrifice on that front a little bit, but it's a, it's a, a new story, a new wrinkle uh, for the overall NBA landscape. I, I think that's probably contributing to your excitement. And I think the other factor, and I'd love to hear you expound on this, the Bucks had gotten stale, hadn't they? Yes. I mean, they, they just, it, we were just sort of like, okay, yeah, we know you're pretty solid, you know, and it was... It wasn't inspiring. This feels like an inspired move. Am I right? Yeah. Well, and that actually reminds me, there was some pushback to Drew Holiday's inclusion on Fraud Watch uh, a week or two back. And I was explaining to someone last night the issue with Drew, because a couple people were like, Sharp said that he wasn't a championship caliber guard and not someone you can definitely win a championship with. Well, he won a championship with Giannis. That's all factually accurate, okay? I'm not here to dispute that Drew Holiday has a ring, but when you go back to that playoff run, 
Yeah, you're not a Celtics fan. They love doing that, by the way. The Celtics fans, all of Massachusetts just pretends like 2021 never happened. I don't know if you've caught on to that in your <laughs> yeah. conversations with Boston fans. But anyway, continue. You're not a uh, election denier, basically. You're saying you're not a finals denier. Exactly, Thank you. exactly. And look, Drew locked up Chris Paul, locked up Devin Booker when he had to in those finals, was phenomenal on defense, but they very nearly blew a really winnable series against the Nets in large part because he was useless offensively in that series. And so Giannis was great through the second half of that Brooklyn series, was like Hall of Fame, unbelievable through the second half of that Phoenix series. But it was still very, very close with the Suns and very, very close with the Nets because he just wasn't getting enough help on offense. And then the last couple of years, he also wasn't getting enough help on offense. Hard to know how much to make of what happened last year because the injury sort of complicates everything. But in general, when you project forward, I think Drew Holiday was a pretty clear weak link. And now you look at the rest of the roster, Chris Middleton needs to stay healthy. They need to find some help on the wing. But I think an argument in favor of the Bucks as being the favorites in the East and, and potentially title favorites um, are certainly like at the very top of that list is that they have nine months to figure out how to solve some of the perimeter defense issues and how to get one or two other guys. And right now, I just like their core a lot better moving forward. Now, I'm curious. Let me just build on that thought real quick because last season it was weird with Giannis getting injured, but here's the difference between Drew Holiday and Damian Lillard. If Giannis were to get injured in the middle of a series again this season, Damian Lillard's going to be able to step up and try to average 35 or 40 points in a playoff series and try to carry a team in that spot. He's not going to be shaken back on his heels. Oh my God, the whole thing's falling apart. Like, oh, Giannis is hurt. What do we do? That was really the feeling after Giannis got hurt. It was like, this wasn't how the story was supposed to go. What do we do? And, and Milwaukee really wasn't able to rally very well, pull itself together. And you can never ask Drew Holiday to try to average 35 points a game in a playoff series. It's just not going to happen, right? So uh, I think that's why you make this trade. You're betting on the idea that if both those guys are maxed out, that you've got almost more firepower than anybody in the Eastern Conference, and you've got the best-fitting offensive duo now um, of, of any team in the East. And then if one of them happens to miss time over the course of the season, the other one's going to be able to step up and, and carry a little bit more of the load in the way that the previous version of this team didn't. And also, it recalibrates Middleton's role. Middleton's kind of been the number two guy asked to do maybe mm, a little bit too point. much over these last couple of years. Middleton's a much more capable number three option. Hey, spend some more time chasing Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum around the perimeter. Chris, don't worry about the shots. Dame's got those. Like It's a little bit of a, a better calibration, I think, for what he's able to give you at this point, given his recent injury issues. So, um, you know, look, there's risks here too. I, I don't think it's perfect uh, for Milwaukee, but if we were being Cipollone here, we'd be screaming the profanities, but we'd say, call it in, call it in. F yeah, do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, and let's if be you're clear. Milwaukee, you got to do this deal. There's no way around it, right? That's the issue. I mean, Bucks fans spent the last two weeks debating, like, do we go all in to get Buddy Heald? Do we put Pat Connaughton on the table? And is Buddy Heald enough to really change our odds in the title race? And it's like, imagine going from that reality to this one. And we should be very clear. It may not work. I mean, Dame is old at this point. He's had injuries of his oh, own. Whoa, whoa. Slow what? down. Not old. 33. Well, I mean, okay. He's, he's small and entering his mid-30s, and the track record for guys in that category has not been great. Um, but uh, 
I, Wait, hold on. At what point do you enter your mid-30s? Is it like 33 and a half plus one day you're trying to throw these people to the wolves? Man, I, aren't you overstating this slightly? You, you're not going to consider them early 30s at 33? Early 30s is 31 or 32. Uh, you're firmly oh. in your mid-30s once you start struggling with like crippling back pain out of nowhere. So I checked that box. I don't know whether Dame checks that box. I know he had that weird ab injury a couple years ago, uh, but... Hopefully, he will be better than mid-30s Kemba. Let's put it that way. Um, and I think he yeah. will. I'm not worried about it. I am still shell-shocked. When I look at the Bucks roster, it's hard for me to unsee how useless Jay Crowder was during the playoff run yeah. a year ago. And now he's, like, firmly in the rotation. So, uh, hopefully... I mean, he's going to get wide-open shots. His cardio, Jay cardio, <laughs> it will be rewarded this year. Nobody's guarding him when he's on the court, so he should have an opportunity. I just do want to draw one distinction between you and Damian Lillard as you're trying to you know put yourself in the same category as this guy I believe he had an abdominal muscle tear and I think to have one of those you have to have abdominal muscles right so I think that's maybe a slight distinction between professional athletes and podcasters like ourselves well that's one of the things I'm discovering here Ben your core is important apparently running every day for four years and never working on my core was a poor strategy uh, all right, let's move further down the winners and losers list. Obviously, well, who's a loser? Give uh, me a loser, you know, because well, we just we, we spent twenty minutes just kind of slurping the bucks. To be honest, slurping Giannis, you know, giving Dame some love. Who came out on the short end of this trade? Yes, and to further articulate the bucks point, it may not work, but I think it's a calculated risk that from a process standpoint, was the smart thing to do. And they're not going to do, do any better with those assets than Damian Lillard with a couple of years left on a max deal. And they're in good shape now. And uh, as far as Damian it, Lillard, he might be a loser. He, okay, well, but he also might be the best player Milwaukee's ever traded for. Uh, I mean, we got to go back in the in the archives. I mean, I know they traded out Kareem. You know, they've had some big deals, but I don't I don't remember anybody in my lifetime a bigger trade than getting Dame Lillard. So that's why you kind of have to do it. But anyway, why does he lose? Is it the weather not getting his wish to go to South Beach? He was probably imagining rapping with Rick Ross. This whole chapter is going to be bigger for his rap career. Um, now he's got to settle in and get some puffer jackets. I mean, why does he lose? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not sure. It certainly seemed like Dame and his people had their hearts set on Miami for the last four months. Miami behaved as if that were the case. Lillard's agent in the wake of this deal said they did everything they could to acquire Dame. It takes two to get a deal done. I appreciate all that Pat, Andy, and Mickey did to try and make that happen. Uh, it sounds like Aaron Goodwin is like a heat employee as he's relaying those talking points. And so it just seems like everybody had sort of colluded to push Dame to Miami. Uh, and you look at Miami, like they have a, such a skeleton of a roster at this point because they were banking on Lillard being there and being sort of the keystone that makes them look much less depressing. So I, I have to imagine that Dame himself was part of all that and is now having to process a different reality. I, I'm not surprised that this is the way it went, though, because it just the, the general buzz the last couple of months, you got the sense that people at the league office also didn't want Dame to be able to name one team and then end up with that team. And so there were just a lot of forces in play here that to me indicated, you know, there's probably going to be a curveball just because it would be pretty unhealthy for the league's ecosystem for Lillard to have 
four years left on a max deal and be able to say, you can trade me and trade me to one team only. So I think that strategy clearly backfired. Yeah, but I think that is not going to take him long to realize what he's landed in with Milwaukee. I think he's going to arrive there, understand that it's an, a winning organization. They've had a real consistent track record of that over the last you know, six, seven years. That's what he was looking for in Portland. That's why he was interested in Miami in the first place. I think he's going to form a bond uh, with Giannis. I think he's going to understand that, uh, you know, this could wind up actually being a better fit for him, as you were describing earlier. He's a smart basketball guy. And, uh, you know, I think that he's probably relieved to a certain degree to have all this stuff behind him and to not being forced to go to, you know, media day next week in Portland saying, oh yeah, me Scoot Shaden and uh, <laughs> and, and uh, Anthony Simons, we're just going to make it work. It's going to be great, right? I, I think he's a winner from that front, just from the fact that he, he got his wish and he did get traded. He didn't have to wait until the trade deadline like a Kevin Durant. I think you're right. Miami is big time short-term losers because they did lose a couple of um, rotation players, this summer without really adding anybody of consequence and because they really did seem like they had you know gone in pretty hard trying to grab Lillard and he would have been a good fit um, and would have made their roster better had they been able to get him but I don't think that they should be looked at as like some failure within this trade because ultimately Portland got back a young centerpiece in Aiton. Mm-hmm. They got back Drew Holiday, who they could probably flip for some first-round picks. They got back a high-quality first-round pick from Milwaukee They got off of Yusuf Nurkic's contract, which to me is pretty bad money, and they got some pick swaps from Milwaukee. Like Miami, as far as we know, was never offering anywhere close to that. They didn't have a young centerpiece player um, who Portland would value because they already have all these young guards. They don't need Tyler Hero. And we never heard this talk about, oh, Miami's figuring out a way to like gin up like all these first-round picks. So ultimately, they played poker. They bet that nobody could beat their offer and they lost. And sometimes that's okay. They did not go bankrupt here, right? They're still yeah. going to be in the mix going forward for whatever other superstar level guys are going to be interested who could come free over these next couple of years. Um, you know, you look at Embiid, he's got ties to Jimmy. Um, like we said, Giannis is still going to, you know, his future is not solidified necessarily by this trade, although I do, do think it's now much more likely he stays in Milwaukee for at least the next couple of years, maybe as opposed to it was before they made this trade. Uh, you look at Donovan Mitchell, there's going to be some other names that pop up. And Miami is always at the top of everybody's list. And now they just roll their assets over and uh, maybe they take a short-term hit this season where I don't necessarily view them as in the top tier of title contenders in the Eastern Conference right now. I would say maybe they're closer to that second tier. They look more like an eight seed, which yeah. they were than the underdog, you know, amazing story that blew through the Eastern Conference and embarrassed the Boston Celtics along the way. But, um, you know, I I think it could be a short-term pain for longer-term gain, right? Yeah, I actually think that's a great read on it. I think if the take is the Heat could have traded for Damian Lillard and they would not have ultimately won a championship at any point over the next two or three years and they would have forfeited their entire future for the rest of this decade in order to just lose in the conference finals over the next couple seasons. Um, That's a good take. And and they will probably have a chance to raise their ceiling in different ways over the next few seasons. Just I look at the roster now 
They lost Max Struess. You look at the team that made the finals. Caleb Martin was having like an out-of-body experience for a couple games against Boston, was not the same guy in the finals, is probably not going to be the same guy going forward. Even if he is, how do you re-sign him? They're still paying Duncan Robinson. Uh, Kevin Love, Can- the husk of Kevin Love, was a, well, a key contributor during that playoff run. Kyle Lowry, too. So like, there's just a lot of guys that question. I don't feel comfortable betting on again. No, I agree. I think that they're coming back to earth. But does Miami kind of have the best of both worlds because they are always in the mix for these kinds of players who can drive title runs? I just don't feel like the Heat fans or the Heat uh, media around them put as much pressure on them to be in the title mix every single year as the Celtics media mafia or even as the Bucks conversation developing around with Giannis. You know, it's like this absolute disaster if Giannis loses in the first round. When the Celtics went through their first round struggles with Kyrie, it would like cost Danny his job. Everything blew up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with Miami, if they were to lose in the first round next year, is anybody going to bat an eyelash? I mean, they've, they've lost in the first round after the bubble. Nobody really cared. Like, I just think it's a different type of pressure environment down there, and I think it works to their advantage. Am I wrong? Uh, you're not wrong. Uh, and I know a number of Heat fans who do appreciate the fact that the Heat just play hard throughout the regular season and are entertaining to watch on a regular basis in, like, December, January, and February, even as some of the regular seasons get pretty ugly. Like, they haven't been a great regular season team, but they always play hard and have random role players that their fans fall in love with. And I, I, again, this is how like my brother-in-law experiences the heat. He's always like, yeah, do we have a title shot? Probably not, but I don't know. I'm still going to get league pass and make sure I watch most of the games. So there is that element. Um, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. So your brother-in-law as a heat fan is probably shrugging his shoulders, right? But I know yes. you got some Celtics fans in your family. Let's imagine the Celtics had been the, the rumored destination for Dame for three or four months. <laughs> and then he goes to Miami. It would be pitchforks. They'd be coming for Brad. They'd be going after the ownership. Everybody would be lighting the TD Garden on fire. Am I right? Well, and look, the Heat fans that I know in real life are going to be pretty reasonable about this and recover just fine. There were a bunch of random Heat fans on NBA Twitter. We talked about this back during the finals. Like I kind of feel like an outsider among like Heat culture and Heat Internet is pretty much foreign to me as well. So these random people would pop up getting like thousands of likes talking all kinds of shit about how they were going to get Damian Lillard. And that's where it's been for like four months with Heat Twitter and how everybody was stupid for trying to like gin up these other scenarios and everything else. It was staring them right in the face. Nikola Jovich, super valuable and shouldn't be undervalued by the national media. <laughs> All this stuff is now nonsense in retrospect. Uh, and so I will read from another Heat fan I know in real life on Twitter. Rohan Nadkarni from Sports Illustrated, he tweets, Objectively, the funniest outcome here was Dame not getting traded to Miami after all the posturing and chest-thumping this summer. But the newest funniest outcome is the Heat eliminating the Bucks in the playoffs again anyways. Credit to Rohan. He's right Ooh. about that. Uh, feel like it's probably a long shot at this point uh, now that Max Drews is in Cleveland and is not going to hit like a million threes. But look, Jimmy Butler's still there, and Jimmy Butler was the one who eliminated the Bucks last season. He was unbelievably good in that yeah. first round season, in first round series. 
I just think, you know, Kyle Lowry better get some compression socks, man, something (laughs) that he's going to kind of, you know, be able to extend the life of those legs against a a Damian Lillard in that particular matchup, man. I I can't see that again. And people forget Milwaukee eliminated Miami, too. Like, that wasn't that long ago, 2021, right? Whatever Milwaukee is going to give Jay Crowder over the next couple months, Miami needs to give like three or four times as much to Kyle Lowry and just hope for the best from there. We'll see where the Heat end up. The other major player here that we have to discuss while we have this limited window for the emergency episode, Joe Cronin and the Portland Mm. Trailblazers. What do you think of how they made out here? I am fairly impressed uh, after being skeptical that they were going to be able to get anything of real value here. I look at that roster, look at the hall here. I expect them to flip Drew at some point over the next three or four months Man, oh man, what a win for the Blazers. Well, I think I told you at the beginning of the summer that Joe really needed a win, and I think he did enough here to call it a win. Now, whether it's actually going to be proven to be a win, I'm not so sure. And the reason why I say that is because I'm just really skeptical of DeAndre Ayton, and to build a package around him as kind of the main piece coming back until we know what he gets for Drew Holiday and trade, if he gets some real quality uh, picks, and he easily could, right? Because that's a guy who's ready to plug and play and, you know, handle big postseason responsibilities. Even if he was a little bit underqualified to do what my uh, Milwaukee needed, he could help some teams and he could help any of their competitors, right? I mean, Miami, uh, he could help Boston, you know, some yeah. dream scenarios where you get like Lillard versus Holiday playoff rematches to like settle this trade once and for all <laughs> in the Eastern Conference Finals. It'd be incredible. So I kind of hope that that happens. But um, until we know what, what goes on there, you have to kind of ask, was it the right call to bet on Aiton? And I think my big problem is, you know, Aiton wasn't happy in Phoenix because he wanted a larger role. He wanted more touches. He just kind of wanted everybody to get off his back. He's going to a city in Portland that has a very demanding fan base, that expects reliable play, that expects guys who get paid big dollars to deliver on their contracts. And he's going to be going there playing for a whole bunch of young guards who are not Chris Paul, who kind Mm -hmm. of put DeAndre Ayton on the map and kind of taught him how to be an NBA commodity, right? I think there's a very, very, very good likelihood that DeAndre Ayton winds up letting people down in Portland and he winds up being not even close to a fan favorite and most likely a scapegoat as people are going through what I think is going to be a couple of long, tough losing seasons. So the fact that Portland you know, was able to get rid of Nurkic, I think that's a win. The fact that they're betting on Aiton, and he only has three years left on his contract, so it's not the, uh, the worst thing in the world. But to try to fashion the next era around him, I just don't think they're going to be able to do that. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to be able to step up and be the guy he always wanted to be in Phoenix. He's just not that dude. He's not as good as he thinks he is, and I think he's about to have a rude awakening here over the next 18 months, and that colors my perception of how well Portland actually did. But I will say the reason why you call it a win is he didn't settle for that Miami package. Cronin didn't. He took his time. He constructed a pretty smart trade in terms of being able to get you know, multiple different pieces and, and uh, you know, valuable pick assets that will help them sometime down the road. And he did it all before things got weird during training camp. And he basically gave Scoot Henderson the car keys, which was an important step as well. So I think all things considered, if you rewind to when they were first tanking before they actually got the number three pick, if you gave people the option of like, look, Dame's going to be upset. Like you go back to March 1 mm-hmm. and you say, look, Dame's not cool with this idea of shutting him down. 
but um, he's probably going to be asking for a trade this summer. It could get ugly. We're going to give you Scoot, Aiden, Drew Holiday to trade, a first-round pick from Milwaukee, multiple pick swaps, and you're going to get rid of Nurkic. I think a lot of Blazers fans, especially the ones that kind of like sat down and you know were able to just kind of mull on the end of the uh, of the lowered experience and get those feelings out, I think the rational minds among them would have been cool with that deal. Yeah, and you look at where they are now and where Cronin is now. He was squarely on fraud watch, new in the job. People weren't sure he was going to be able to navigate this, particularly after those first few weeks where it became something of a standoff and others around the league were like, what the hell are the Blazers doing? They owe it to Dame Lillard to trade him. They're obviously going to have to settle for whatever Miami is putting on the table. Just take the assets the Heat are putting out there and stop prolonging this like a fucking amateur. Like people relayed that to me when we were in Vegas. Like they did. Cronin is being an idiot. and That's just wrong. Prolonging has worked. Yeah, prolonging worked. And DeAndre Ayton, I freely concede that may be sort of a win the press conference type move and something that makes this deal look better on paper today than it will ultimately look in retrospect. I think the reason I like the offer they got from Miami relative, uh, excuse me, the offer they got from Milwaukee relative to what Miami was offering is... I trust the Heat to find a way to stay pretty decent through the end of this decade. So whatever picks Miami was throwing out there weren't going to be all that valuable. Whereas Milwaukee very clearly has mortgaged the future for the next couple seasons of Giannis and Lillard. And then who the hell knows what that small market organization is going to look like. And so on that basis alone, I prefer the long-term assets as lottery tickets. I also think they'll be able to get good value for Drew. So that's like a, a real superstar haul at the end of all this. And that honestly seemed impossible given the way Lillard approached the process through the first couple months and some of the messaging that was coming out of his camp. And that's the the other point I have on Cronin is uh, when I say Lillard mismanages, I think if he had listed a, a, a group of five teams that he was willing to go to and had most of those teams be options that weren't going to have the assets to really get in the mix and make a deal, Portland would have probably been obligated to trade him to the Heat. The Heat would have had the best offer among that group by sort of messaging early on that the Heat were the only team he wanted to go to. It became more of a cultural flashpoint in the league and I think gave Cronin Mm. more room to wait it out. Um, And that might have been because Lillard and his agents really did feel like Cronin misled them along the way and there was a breakdown in trust and they just couldn't go behind the scenes and say, look, please send us to Miami. We're going to publicly list four or five other teams so you guys don't get screwed in this deal, but we want him to end up on the heat. And uh, maybe they didn't feel comfortable having that conversation as they tried to to navigate this process. Um, in any event, it ends well for Portland and I'd be psyched if I were a Blazers fan today. Yeah, I, I can't get psyched if I'm a Blazers fan knowing that DeAndre Ayton's kind of like the, the jewel of the crown. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, you're, you're breaking down all the posturing very well. I mean, just a couple thoughts. I mean, you know, first of all, I think 
they were going to take it slow no matter what because Burt Cold is like the lead advisor to the owner. He was like Paul Allen's best friend for a long time. He's just a strange dude, and he's the kind of guy where if Lillard walks into the office and says, you have to trade me to Miami, he's like, okay, I'm going to make this as complicated for you as possible. Mm. Like, he's just He was like very well known. Like He was the hatchet man for Paul Allen for a lot of years. So like he would walk through God the Blazers' office and every, what that every, everybody would... Well, just keep their head down because they know somebody's getting fired if, if Bert shows up, right? So I never thought they were going to be complete pushovers about it. Um, I, I do think that part of the reason why Lillard wanted to make this public, it was not just, oh, I'm being misled by Cronin. He said he would trade for these pieces and he wasn't able to do it. I also think there's been a real shift in direction from ownership since Paul Allen died, right? And it's like that's you know, if you don't feel like you can still trust in the ownership and their word is good and that they're, they have the same principles as you do, you don't have a lot of other options. I think that's why he kind of, uh, you know, came out and did it publicly. So I guess when you're looking at all these dynamics, changing ownership in Portland, young GM who's feeling a lot of pressure, he's got Pat Riley like looming over him in these trade talks, all these different dynamics that are playing out. They want to sort of do right by Lillard, but they don't want to take orders from Lillard. Uh, you know, I think that... The the length of how long it took to play out, I, I don't think that's going to ultimately be very meaningful at the end of the day, right? Lillard winds up getting to a contender. Portland winds up sending him to the Eastern Conference. Portland could say they did right by him. Lillard could say, I got almost everything I wanted besides the South Beach Flash with this deal. And pretty much everyone winds up going home happy. And I think it's a relatively amicable divorce, right? Mm. Everybody's kind of going their separate ways and they're okay. Lillard's already tweeted that he's happy about his next chapter. And I can promise you, Portland will be pitching former number one pick DeAndre Ayton coming in to be like the new <laughs> centerpiece. They're gonna they're gonna lean on that messaging hard. They're gonna say this is a guy who's got all star potential. He's the best center that we've had in decades, and they're gonna be like, and know, that's all gonna be selling a lie. that kind of stuff hard. Yeah. Well, it's all gonna be something that maybe they believe because they wind up building this trade around Ayton, and that's what I'm worried about is that. He feels like the face-saving piece, right? He is a win-the-press-conference type of player rather than being a truly substantive player. And I'm not convinced he's going to respond well to losing in Portland, right? He seems like the kind of guy, it's like, well, if I get 20 and 12 and this is a 30-win team, you know, it's even that could take two years for them even to win 30 games, right? But yeah. I think he's going to be okay with it. I don't see him driving victories, building a culture, being helpful to Chauncey Billups as they're trying to kind of retool after losing their decade-long leader, like, I almost feel a little bad for Scoot Henderson here. It's like, you got to do it. No, 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 no. I don't think Aiden's going to take things off the table for the Blazers. You know, I think anything he gives them is a bonus. And otherwise, he's an athletic, relatively defensively versatile big. And the future depends on Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson. Uh, but I don't think he's like some albatross that they're now stuck with for the next couple of years, unless the idea is they're actually going to like build the offense around Deion. Drain, which would be stupid yeah wouldn't put it past well, chauncey billups and the blazers organization as they try to like spin this uh no it's nba politics though he's coming in he's 25 he thinks he has all-star potential he's a former number one pick he felt like he was underutilized at phoenix he's expecting the ball bro i promise you that he's gonna think that he's gonna be a lead option and it's gonna be on 
everybody involved who are all relatively ex- inexperienced in this you know equation. Chauncey's inexperienced. Scoot's obviously coming in brand new as a teenage point guard. Anthony Simons isn't exactly a pass-first playmaker. Yep. And Aiton, who's never really been anything more than a fourth option. All these guys are going to be trying to figure it out. And I think that could get kind of messy. Okay, so here's where we come to a unifying theory of DeAndre Aiton in Portland. DeAndre Aiden individually, the Blazers are probably losers for having to deal with DeAndre Aiden and sell themselves on DeAndre Aiden. DeAndre Aiden, though, winners and losers, generally just sort of a hacky conceit for podcasts. But if DeAndre Aiden, <laughs> DeAndre Aiden is a loser, and so he is a winner for getting himself out of Phoenix, <laughs> and, which he had a chance to contend for titles for the next couple of years, but was like miserable the entire time he was there sat out the end of the Nugget series with a rib contusion or whatever. Uh, And so he's probably going to be much happier in Portland than he was in Phoenix because that's just the way he's wired. So good for DeAndre Ayton. Now, along those lines... No, 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 no. Don't reinforce those values. Bad for DeAndre Ayton. Don't take for granted what you had in Phoenix. You're about to experience the other side of the NBA. And if that's what gets you excited and you're going to be able to look forward to your third contract, sure, but prove me wrong. Show me you can drive victories. I want to see it. I don't buy it. But I think there are bigger losers out there. Okay. That's what I wanted to say. And it, it, they're down there in the desert, bro. Oh, my the God. The Phoenix Suns are by far the biggest losers of this trade. This is collateral damage. Remember, we had this conversation about the Bradley Beal trade in terms of, oh, they didn't give up anything to get Beal. And I said, look, you have to see his contract and understand the type of implications that's going to have on their direction going forward. We could talk about Aiton's lack of um, interest in listening to Monty Williams. We could talk about his you know, lack of investment in the team group and kind of quitting on them at various points. This was basically a salary dump. This was them saying, we've got these four gigantic contracts. You can't have four gigantic contracts in the modern NBA. Um, we need to cut costs, and we're, gonna, we're willing to downgrade from Aiton to Yusuf Nurkic who hasn't been good in three or four years, who's definitely worse than DeAndre Ayton, but who happens to make about half as much as DeAndre Ayton, who's never going to hold up in postseasons, uh, you know, big playoff matchups as a center, uh, especially defensively. Uh, you know, Jokic is going to beat this guy like a drum if they play in the playoffs. I mean, Anthony Davis is going to have his way with them. The list goes on and on and on. But they're willing to make that move solely so they can cut costs because they had to take on this Beal contract uh, or they decided to take on this Beal contract in the trade. So I look at this Suns group. Nobody plays defense. Their Mm. rotation's even thinner than it was before this trade. They don't have, to me, a very imposing starting lineup. It's going to be run and gun and get as many points as possible and try to sell tickets based on averaging 130 a night. And I feel bad for poor Frank Vogel, who took a job probably expecting, hey, we're going to have championship expectations and a few pieces we can try to mold to be in a good defense. And now he's going to be screaming at Yusuf Nurkic, who's not going to be capable of doing any of the things that Frank Vogel (laughs) wants him to do on the defensive end. They're going to give up so many points when it matters, Andrew. It drives me crazy. I feel like KD's a loser here because he doesn't have a team that's capable of contending for a title. I feel like Ishbia is a loser because he bet way too big on Beal. Beal, I don't know if he's a winner or a loser because he's out of Washington, so he's probably a net winner. But this is not going well for Phoenix, and I think we should just schedule now our emergency trade podcast for 2025 when maybe Book wants out, maybe KD (laughs) wants out. 
<laughs> this is going to blow up, okay? It's not as bad as that Houston Rockets situation like three or four years ago. It's not that dire, but it's trending that direction. It makes me very uncomfortable. They're big losers here, Andrew. All right, we're just going rapid fire takes here as we close it out. Uh, to finish my thought, Aiton is a loser and is therefore a winner for ending up in Portland where nobody's going to care about him for the next several years. Damian Lillard, if he's a winner then he's a winner in this deal because he's going to have a great opportunity to contend for championships for the next two years in Milwaukee. So I hadn't seen the tweet saying, you know, I'm excited about the next chapter here. That was during my physical therapy session, but glad to hear that he's already signaling optimism and is warming to the idea of pairing with Giannis because I think that's a really good spot for him. Uh, And I enjoy the Aaron Goodwin quote where he sounds like a departing Heat employee there thanking Pat, Andy, and Mickey. Um, And as for the Suns, man, so I saw the Suns return as I was leaving the PT office, and my reaction was that Idris Elba gif where he's eating the hot sauce and it's like, oh, fuck. Like, I can't believe that a championship contender would trade DeAndre Ayton for Yusuf Nurkic. Now, we've both been very clear that DeAndre Ayton is really not the guy if he's your fourth best player though um it's not the worst thing in the world and Yusuf oh, Nurkic, he's better than Nurkic <laughs> you, Nurkic has been useless on defense like a real like truly weak link for several seasons now Grayson yeah. Allen no, was if, also if a you disaster want, if you want to build a build a bottom five defense build it around Nurkic right that's what Portland taught us for the last four years I honestly cannot believe they made this decision and it would make more sense to me if it were a cap motivated deal as opposed to another i saw a rumor that kd and book did not want deandre aiden back in phoenix um in which Uh, case this is catastrophic well that part also might be true but this is a cap related maneuver nurkic is making almost exactly half or very close to half of what uh, Aiton's making over the next three years. Grayson's coming in with only one year left on his contract. So they are substantially lessening their long-term financial commitments by making this trade. That's that's the primary motivating factor of this trade. Regardless of his personality or anything else, that's why they did it. That's why they targeted Nurkic because they needed somebody to play center in the trade. And they're looking for centers who were cheaper than Aiton, who were available, Ugh. who they could try to sell to anybody. And that's the best they could come up with and that's why it's a disaster for them. yeah i'll be curious as to whether we get confirmation on that it certainly validates your takes on the suns earlier this summer so a convenient explanation for you also possible no, that this no, is no, now no, a no. second Dude. instance of gmkd ruining the suns uh ruining a, a championship contender but we'll see no, I just, you got to understand how much they're paying those top three guys in this new cap environment. You, you're never going to be able to have four big contracts. Nobody else in the league has four big contracts. You know, it's it's just not going to be a thing. And I think it's actually better that Phoenix uh, admitted that now and tried to come up with, uh, you know, a plan as opposed to waiting another year um, and trying to make it work with a guy who clearly people have he's kind of rubbed people the wrong way these last couple of years but this was a money move there's no doubt well then in in retrospect every other decision they've made for the last year was idiotic uh i think they went in eyes wide open especially the Beal deal (laughs) i I think that they were pretty committed to paying whatever for the next year or two and then letting the chips fall where they may uh last note here masai 
would have been on Fraud Watch for me, and my plan was to say that both Masai and Masai's haters were on Fraud Watch. We went too long on the Fraud Watch episode, so we didn't get to really discuss it. Uh, Masai firmly on Fraud Watch now, apparently refused to offer Scotty Barnes, refused to offer OG Ananobi, refused to offer Siaka. I don't know what the plan is in Toronto. I, there's a lot of buzz about offers that Masai just refused to to entertain. Um, Sean Hyken re- reported, somebody I know who's dealt with Toronto's front office that I talked to this week called Masai the guy in your fantasy league who offers five trades a week and cancels at the last minute before you can decide whether to accept them or not. Really enjoy that report because I am that guy in my fantasy basketball league. But if I were a Raptors fan, I would be very frustra- frustrated by the way this is played out and another sort of crossroads that Masai has just refused to, to choose a direction at. Well, I think the best case for, for Masai is that Lillard becomes a, another Trojan horse. So just like the Lakers can wait for Luca after Kyrie mm. blows up the Mavericks, if the Lillard trade backfires on the Bucks and Giannis is looking around saying, where can I land? Nobody is probably better positioned to make a good trade with a whole bunch of young assets, players, picks, whatever it would be, um, than the Toronto Raptors. And so, you know, I know there's a personal connection there between Masai and Giannis. So that probably feels like a pipe dream in this very moment because I'm I'm pretty bullish on how the Bucks are going to look and put it together with Lillard and Giannis. But if it doesn't work, uh, I think Masai is lurking. How about that? It, uh, you know what? It sounds plausible and I like it. Uh, I also want to relay another report Somebody, I forget who reported this, been told by multiple people, it's not that Scotty Barnes was taken off the table. He was never in the same room as the table. What I believe it. wonderful front office nonsense. Maybe it's true. I would have traded Scotty Barnes and sold high if I were Masai this offseason. But hey, man, he's got the ring, not me. Uh, I also enjoy the media Losers in this because nobody really cared about Damian Lillard for the last four or five months, and also nobody explored the possibility in any meaningful way that he would end up in Milwaukee, and now here we are. But part of that is why I'm now super excited for the season to come here. So I'm excited to see where things go. And with that, Ben, I'll leave the final thoughts to you, and let's close out the emergency show here. Well, let me defend the media by saying the only reason why Milwaukee wasn't in the conversation as a landing spot for Dame was because people didn't really expect Phoenix to just give away DeAndre Ayton as the centerpiece <laughs> of the return package, really, right? It's and, a good point. We all underestimated how much everyone in Phoenix hated DeAndre Ayton and or how cheap Ishbia was despite ostensibly committing to pay for like $400 million worth of salary for the next few years. Who knows what the rationale was, but we underestimated the Suns as the idiot wild cards in the room. I mean, my favorite explanation of the Suns um, offseason is that they learned the salary cap rules after trading for Bradley Beal, and then we're like, oh, God. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So they were the Idris Elba Jif also. They were like, oh, fuck. Are you serious? Uh, that might have been Ishbia. Uh, yeah, it all adds up, I guess. Um, yeah, no, I think that this is a, a fun moment for the NBA. I think it's, an, you know, the NBA is actually a winner here in, in terms of getting a little bit more balance, a little bit more juice into that Eastern Conference race. Mm. I think we have a fun developing rivalry between uh, Boston and, and Milwaukee, Milwaukee and Miami, however you want to look at it. That definitely got a kickstart here. 
I think for Portland, it was time, you know, and it's it's been time. So I think that, you know, it winds up being better for them and their young players. I just think odd balance is a pretty satisfying conclusion to what was an agonizing three-month wait. So I think NBA podcasters like the NBA itself are winners here too. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy all the way around. I, maybe I should book my trip when the Bucks make their first visit to Portland and, and see the emotional homecoming. What do you think? You know what I'm proud of? We ignored most of the agony oh, sure throughout did. the Lillard saga <laughs> and came up with far more creative angles for our podcasts. And now here we are on an emergency winners and losers. And this hits all of our favorite beats. You know, you've got Aiden Hate, You've got insider takes on the Blazers. You've got Giannis <laughs> Inc. We even gave Rohan a shout out. Just a lot to love here. Uh, and so it makes me excited for the season. I've really enjoyed the preview content the last week or two. I'm excited to keep it rolling. And I'm excited to go congratulate Ben Thompson, who should be waking up in the next hour or two. Um, and so just a, a wonderful surprise this afternoon here. And I'm glad we could make this pod work. No, this was a goat trade of all goat trades. All right, Andrew, we want to hear everybody else's feedback, though, because we're going to be taping again, I believe, later this week, maybe even on Thursday. So mm. we're going to be able to get instant reactions from the goats. What'd you think? Who were we too hard on? Who were we, were we too soft on? What angles did we miss in our analysis? And where should Drew Holiday go? I think that's a really fun question because imagine it's Drew Holiday instead of Kyle Lowry somehow down there in Miami, right? Imagine if it's Drew Holiday as maybe a supercharged Marcus Smart, you know, after that offseason juggle. You know, you got maybe a backcourt of Derek White and Drew Holiday for Boston alongside the big dogs in the frontcourt. Wow, that's a... That's a juicy team. I'm going to actually have to start showing some respect to the Boston Celtics and the green beer drinkers. So I, I kind of hope Portland turns this into, uh, you know, an arms race, basically. You yeah. know, and they, they just sent Lillard to one part of the Eastern Conference arms race, and then let's just auction Holiday off and, and get it even more exciting. That, that would be my dream scenario. But if you've got other holiday destinations, we want to hear them. Greatest of all talk at gmail.com. Greatest of all talk at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at ben.golver on on X, I should say, at Ben Golver. And of course on threads, sort of hanging by a thread. <laughs> I've been meaning ben. to ask you about Golliver. your threads experience. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Stay loyal. Yeah, I haven't made any, po- just like everybody else, haven't made any posts since the first week, but that's all right. I'm sure it's coming <laughs> back around. I'll have some new features anytime now. You can check out Andrew with that Stratechery Plus bundle. It's Sharp Tech for Tech, Sharp China for China. This show for basketball, all in one place for a low price. So be sure to describe. All right, Andrew, until later this week, I will talk to you. Take it easy, man.